0: That was, uh, that might have been the best introduction I've ever had. That took me on an emotional roller coaster right there. Yes, uh, I am Jake's cousin. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I'll let you guys decide. But either way, I am very grateful to be here. Uh, it is kind of funny that he's the reason I'm here, and yet he's not. So I don't know what that says about our relationship. Um, but it's, a, it's an incredible privilege. He stole a lot of my thunder and did a lot of the introducing for, him, for me. But I will uh, try not to be too redundant. Uh, I am a missionary of an organization called Steiger, and Steiger was started by my parents in the 80s. In fact, your pastor, uh, he visited the founding ministry that we had in the late 70s, early 80s, so he met my parents before I was even born, Um, so that was kind of weird to reminisce about that, Uh, not that I was there, obviously. Um, But my parents, they're both from Minnesota, but they moved independently from Minnesota. They didn't know each other. They moved to Amsterdam uh, with uh, YWAM, Youth with the Mission. uh, And they had a heart to reach the dominant social movement of the time in Europe. And that were the punks and the anarchists. These rebellious young people who had such a negative view of God and they were against the system and they were upset and they were angry. And they really, really did not like religion. And they were never going to come to the church looking for answers. And my parents had a real burden to reach them And and they were praying, God, what do we do? And cutting a very long story short, they started a Bible study on a boat behind Central Station. So it's right in the heart of the city. Uh, And the address for this boat was Pier 14, and the word Pier in Dutch is Steiger. So Steiger 14, that's how the name of the ministry started. Um, Shortly thereafter, my dad started this band, as Jake mentioned, called No Longer Music. And as the name would suggest, it was always from the beginning about more than music, It was a way to go to secular places, to clubs and venues and bars and festivals, and to lift up the name of Jesus in a relevant way. And from the very beginning, God poured his power on this band. And really, he opened up doors all over the world, and a movement started of people who wanted to likewise reach those that would never come to a church. Fast forwarding to today, now we have a worldwide missions organization called Steiger International, and we reach and disciple the global youth culture. That's, what, that's our heart, that's our mission. And that's really just a fancy way of saying young people outside of the church. 17 to 35, roughly. They're remarkably connected because of the internet, because of the movies they're watching, the music they're listening to. But more than just superficial things, they're connected by two dominant ways of looking at the world. The first is secularism. And secularism is the death to religion. Religion has no relevance in their lives. They see, in Europe especially, they see these big, beautiful cathedrals, and they're essentially museums. They're just relics of their parents or maybe even their grandparents' generation, and they have no idea why that would even matter to them. Then we have relativism, and relativism is the death to truth. You know, truth used to be something that we could point to outside of ourselves to arbitrate between human opinion But now truth has been reduced to preference. It's like ice cream flavor. Whatever works for you is fine. Whatever works for me is fine. Just don't tell me what to think. And so this is what young people are like outside of the church, outside of these walls. This is how people are thinking about the world, about the church, about God. And it is our heart to reach them. Now, if I had a spectrum of how people viewed God, and I just so happen to have a spectrum, it might be hard to read from there. It'd be like an eye, like a vision test, but I'll just go through it with you. If if people if this was sorta of to capture how people outside of the church viewed God, or even in the church, it would look like this. On the far right, you have people that actually add things to God. You know, I think modern day Pharisees. That's a minority, but they exist. Moving along in the middle there, you have people that are sympathetic and nominal. They're maybe cultural Christians. They they don't necessarily follow God. They maybe come to church once or twice a year. They view it as a generally good thing, but they're not following God per se. Um, But moving along the spectrum, you have people that are actually apathetic all the way to anti-God, hostile to the things of God. And here's the truth. The overwhelming majority of church initiatives outside of the church are to people in the middle or even to the right end of that spectrum. People that are sympathetic to God. They're the ones coming to your Easter services, to your uh, Christmas services. They're going to come to your your in-house rallies and events. And this is good. We need to do this. But let me tell you something. This is a shrinking demographic. There's coming a day, if it's not here already, where people will not come to the church looking for answers. Because I'm telling you, outside of these walls... To be a Christian is to be anti-scientific. It means to be homophobic. It means to be a bigot. That's what it means now. That's the perception of what it means to follow Jesus. And so we can no longer expect people to come to us. And in Steiger, we have a heart to reach those on that end of the spectrum. People that will never come to the church looking for answers. And so that is what we do. That is what we're passionate about. If you want a little bit more information about our mission, how it all got started, I really want to highlight two books we have many more in our table out there, but I want to focus on two. The first one is Rock Priest. Uh, it's the biography of my dad, how the whole thing got started. It's filled with crazy stories, miraculous uh, illustrations of God's power. Um, and then the book that I wrote, as Jake mentioned in November, called Jesus in the Secular World. The heart of this book is I want anyone in the church, regardless of your age, regardless of your context, to have a roadmap of how you can reach people outside of the church. What what have I learned? What has God allowed me to experience that I can share with you that might equip you to relevantly reach those outside of the church? And so again, this is, you know, there are far more brilliant people than me that have written books like this, but I really believe God could use this to inspire you to reach your friends, your family, your colleagues. I would recommend checking that out. One great way to connect with us is through our weekly podcast. Jake was actually worked with us for over a year on this podcast. Uh, It happens every single week. It, it, It features myself. My dad, David Pierce, and two other key leaders in our mission. Uh, and our whole heart is this. How can we be relevant? How can we be obedient in following Jesus outside of the church? It's the same thing that we talk about all the time. That, you know, we engage with uh, things that are happening on in our culture, different topics that are relevant to Christians. How can we be radical? How can we be faithful? How can we reach people? So it's about an hour long. It can be a bit fun and goofy and entertaining at times, but it also gets really serious Uh, And it's a great way to stay connected with us. So you can even look that up right now, Provoke and Inspire. It's anywhere you can get podcasts, you'll find it. Uh, And it's a great resource and a great way to stay connected to us. Um, One thing I want to mention is the No Longer Music send-off show. Like like, uh, Jake mentioned and like I've said, No Longer Music was started by my dad in the 80s, but it still exists. I've actually been involved for 12 years now with No Longer Music. Uh, I have seen God do incredible things. Uh, And this summer, we're once again going to hit the road. We're going all over Europe. We expect thousands of people to hear the gospel. But every year before we go, we do a local send-off show. And what this is, is we invite people from throughout the Twin Cities to come to see this this hybrid of of music and theater and fire and special effects. I promise it's like nothing you've ever seen before. This modern-day depiction of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus not only will it blow your mind, but also it'll give you an opportunity to meet the team, hear the vision, and send us off. It's at Cedar Valley Church in Bloomington, uh, April 28th at 6.30 on Sunday. Tickets are going really, really fast because we're we in a venue that's much smaller than normal. So I'd recommend you you grab a ticket from us, or you can go online at music.eventbrite.com. And then finally, we have a newsletter, which is just the most general way to stay connected with all things Steiger. So sign up for that. What I want to do before I get started here is show you a, a, a video of a tour we just did in Colombia. In December, we did a 10-day, 10-concert tour. And, and like I said, I've been involved for 12 years, but I don't know if I've ever experienced God move as powerfully like he did on this tour. It was unbelievable. And the reason I want to show you this is because it establishes the context that I want you to understand, which is that God is powerful. That though the problems outside of these walls are great, God is more powerful than the barriers, than the obstacles, and that his heart breaks for people, and then he is at work reaching people, and he invites all of us into that. So i want to show you this video, and then I'll launch into my talk. Colombia needs Jesus. Hundreds of thousands of immigrants have crossed into the border, fleeing economic crisis in Venezuela. Tensions and violence continue to escalate between police and immigrants who are viewed by many as a danger and economic burden to the country. A heavy presence of cocaine continues to foster gang violence and drug addiction throughout many areas. Until 1991, the Roman Catholic Church was recognized as the state religion. Today, an ever-increasing majority view God and the Church as legalistic traditions of the past. Still, many are desperately searching for hope. No Longer Music started as an outreach to punks in Amsterdam in the 80s. Since then, we have traveled all over the world and used music and theater to present the gospel outside of the church. 2018 ended with a 12-day, 10-show tour of Colombia, and the results were amazing. So we're about to start uh, start our sound shake here in Bogota. And the government came to us and they, they said that they want to shut down everything because we don't have one paper. So we're trying to do our best and we need to pray about this. So Lord, help us to do this. So what is saw these three teenage guys sitting on a bench so we went up to them what did you think of the show oh we didn't watch the show were you here yeah we were here but we didn't we weren't paying attention i saw that one of the guys had like this his arm was wrapped and i was like well what happened to your hand and he said oh i fell and i can't move my hand maybe god will show his he's real because clearly my words aren't working so i prayed and and he just started taking the bandage off He was just like moving his hand all around. He's like, ah, my hand's better. And so I prayed for all these guys to receive Jesus. We were created by a passionate Father who loves us. And he still heals people. In every concert that we've had here in Bogota, we've seen people healed by the power of Jesus cuando paso por acá directo a una reunión más para mantenerme 24 horas más sin consumir alcohol y drogas la atracción de ver el, el evento y me muestran una vez más que es el amor de Jesucristo esta experiencia hoy en esta experiencia hoy recibo a Jesucristo como el camino, la verdad y la vida esas palabras ya toman un sentido ya me ha invitado mucho a su vida, nada, a su vida apático porque no me gustan las cosas de Jesús por muchas cosas que pasaron en mi juventud pero venía en el transporte y sentía una pasión en el corazón Era muy grande no sabía que ocurría dentro de mí he was simply said, You are an intransportable Saviour when they came in pass out, but I was here, and 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 I alegría here, and I was here, and I was here, and I was here, and I was and I I so great. It's a really big station, um, and, and they don't know we're Christians. Perfect. Not only were we able to share the gospel with over 11,000 people during our 10 shows, but God opened up a door for us to present who he is on one of the largest TV stations in all of Latin America, as well as on a major secular radio station. Our time in Columbia was unbelievable. Hundreds gave their lives to Jesus, people were physically healed every night, and God connected us with key influencers and gave us access to major secular platforms. Literally thousands of people heard the gospel during these 10 action-packed days. While we are overwhelmed by all that God did, it is clear that it's just the beginning. You know, as, I was, as I was writing the book, Jesus in the Secular World, I think I had a basic question in my mind. And it was, how can I equip people, or, or what does it take for people inside of the church to reach those outside of it? That was the question that was in my head. That was what I was attempting to answer. Because I see a country, especially here in the U.S., filled with people who have so much. We're so well-resourced. We know so much. We have so much opportunity You know, there are places in the world where they don't know where their next meal is coming from. There are places in the world where it's illegal to have a Bible. You know, I was hearing from a missionary, the church I go to is in China, where it's illegal to have a Bible. It's illegal to have a Bible study in your home. We have so much opportunity. We have so many resources. There are so little consequences for telling people the truth, and yet the Bible says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And this burdens me. It burdens me in my own life that I'm not doing as much as I should. And so I'm trying to answer this question. What does it take? What do, we, what do we need to do to mobilize this army of believers to make a difference in this world that is desperate to hear the truth? And I was led to the story of Nehemiah, which is an incredible narrative in the Old Testament. I'm sure you're familiar with it. You see, Nehemiah, he was a Jew, but he had it good. He was living with the occupying king. He was living in the palace. He had a great position with prestige and comfort and security. But then he's confronted by a need. And this maybe is your story or mine, that maybe the world around us is falling apart, but everything is going all right for you. You've become isolated. You've become insulated. You don't even realize anymore. It says that when Nehemiah was confronted by this need, it said he sat down and wept. I don't know the last time that something has hit you so hard that you've wept. And I'm not talking about personal tragedy here. I'm talking about the condition, the state of the world around you. You know, a friend of ours, they, some friends of ours came over to our house the other day. And, and the, the, the wife, she's a teacher at a really tough school. And she was telling stories of the brokenness. The broken families. The violence, the drugs in our own cities, the destruction. When is the last time God has touched your heart about the burdens around you? Are we content to just watch Netflix? Go to church on Sundays. Nehemiah was confronted by a need and he sat down and wept. And then it said that he prayed and fasted because let me tell you this, Having a broken heart means nothing if God doesn't move through what you're doing. This is not about human strategy. This is not about putting our heads together and coming up with a perfect plan. This is about saying, God, I am desperate for you to move. I have nothing. I have nothing to give. I have five loaves and two fish. It's not enough. But Lord, if you'd use me, I'll go. But you got to go with me because I don't have enough. He prays and he fasts, but he recognizes that if God doesn't go with him, he's got no shot. And then he takes a really big risk. He takes a really big risk. He goes to the king and he says, Can I have the time and the money to go build a foreign nation up? This is ludicrous. I mean, think about how ridiculous this would have been. I mean, this was an era where if you even seemed upset in the presence of a king like this, you were dead. There would have been plenty of people around him, I'm sure, that would have said, oh, just be a nice, good Jew. You know, just, just influence people with your attitude and the way you work. There's always people that will tell you that. Oh, you don't need to risk that. You don't need to go. You don't need to open your mouth. Just live it, you know. Just be really, have a positive influence. And maybe after 20 years, someone will pick up the hint. He takes a big risk. He risks everything. Why? Why does he do this? I think it's valid to ask the question. It's certainly important to understand why. You know, my time in No Longer Music has, it's been costly at times. You know, my wife and I, we toured together for six years before we had kids, and and this was tough. I mean, every year we'd have to pack out of the house that we were living in, and we would have no idea where where we'd be living when we came home. We were living out of suitcases, you know, every day in a new city, You know, we might have a big stage, but we do all the work. We're not rock stars. We set everything up. We tear everything down. We work hard. We pray with people. We would get home late, sleep on church floors, get up in the next day, do it all over again. My wife would be one of two girls, 18 guys, smelly hot vans. This wasn't glamorous. This was hard work. This was a cost. But this was trivial. There were much harder costs. God opens up doors for us to go to the Middle East often to preach in Muslim contexts. We've had rocks thrown at us. We've been called infidels. We've had our power cut. We've been followed by the secret police. We've started at least three riots. There's a cost. I remember one time I was talking to my Ukrainian, one of my Ukrainian friends, he was on that video. He was organizing a tour for us. And Ukraine was never really dangerous until 2013 when a war broke out that the media has gotten bored of, but it's still going. And so it's become more inst- unstable, and we were about to go there, and I'm talking to Valery, our Ukrainian partner, and he said, yeah, the strangest thing happened. The first city of this tour, which we're going to in one week, I was having a meeting with the church, and um, I went out when it was done, and I was going to go home to the train station, and, and uh, it was eerily quiet on the streets. There were no people, just riot police. And he didn't know what was going on, but he just made his way to the train station and went home, and he finds out later that this extremist group had been going up and down the streets shooting at people. They blew up the local government building. And this was one week before we were supposed to go to the city. And what he didn't know is that my wife at the time was pregnant with our first son, our only son. And I'm thinking, God, this is too much. It's one thing for just me to go, you know, when I was young and I had nothing to lose and it's adventurous, but now... Is this really what you want me to do? And I felt like God said, my heart breaks for them. I'm already there. And that's why I want you to go. Not because you, I won't make you go. I don't want you to go because you feel guilty. I want your, to, your heart to break like my heart breaks. And that's the only reason we should go. That's why we risk everything. That's why we don't settle for an ordinary life. Not because we feel obligated or we feel guilty. Because God breaks our heart for the needs of the world around us. A key biblical teaching for us is the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. Let me read that. 1 through 7, Luke 15. It says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law muttered this. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the kind of heart you and I need to have. So let's talk about it. What does that mean? Well, first, it means we need to be willing to go to lost sheep places. It baffles me that we think that, okay, let's reach people. So we put on a big event in the church, and we try to make it look like a little less than a church. And then we invite everyone here, and we expect them to come. This is fine, except this isn't what Jesus did. Jesus went to people. Jesus was in their lives. He was in their places. And yes, good things happen in the church, but this should be a launching pad, not a destination. We need to be going to people, and yes, bringing them back here for discipleship, but we need to be going to them, to lost sheep places. I, you know, I, we need to understand that the world is changing, just like the spectrum showed. We can't expect We don't live in an era anymore where we can rent out the big stadium and all the cool Christian acts and expect people to come. I'm sorry, that era is over. People don't see God as a good thing. We need to be in their places, demonstrating what Jesus is like to them in their lives. We can spend all of our time at church. We can spend all of our time with our Christian friends. That's fine. We're just not being like Jesus. Remember how this passage starts. Jesus was spending so much time with sinners that he was being accused of being one himself. That's how this passage starts because he was with people in their places, lost sheep places. And we need to do so at great personal cost and discomfort. You might be thinking oh, I'm busy. You know I got so many responsibilities. I got so much to do. You know, maybe on my lunch break I'll stick my head over my cubicle and see if I can see any lost sheep running around. Or maybe on the weekend for an hour. But what does the good shepherd do? It says doesn't he leave the 99 and go into the open country and look for the lost sheep and tell what? Until he finds it. It's unconditional. The only condition is finding the lost sheep. There is no time limit. It's total devotion, and it would not have been fun. You know, I think we kind of create this nice, you know, child, like, kids, nursery rhyme version of this. Like, you know, it's this nice wilderness and white, fluffy sheep running around. You know, and you just kind of go prancing and looking for the one that got away. That's not what this was. This would have been terrible. There was 99 great sheep, respectable sheep, good church sheep, It would have been much easier, much safer to stay with them. But that's not what the good shepherd does. He braves the open country. He risks his life probably sleeping outside. And consider the fact that this was not an innocent sheep that just like, oh, white fluffy sheep that got away. This was a rebellious sheep that left on its own. Probably listened to strange sheep music and wore strange sheep clothes. That's totally my dad's joke, but still works. (laughs) This was a rebellious sheep with a bad attitude. There would have been plenty of people saying, just let it go. Let them go. You got 99 good ones. Right? Maybe that's the best thing for the sheep, to teach it a lesson. It's not what the good shepherd does. So what do you do when you find the sheep? Well, you eat it. Wow, that one got nothing, but the other one got more. Maybe you guys are all, like, really against eating animals. I don't know. You treat it really nicely and give it a good life. Um, or you tie a rope around its neck and you drag it home. Teach it a lesson, you stupid sheep. You know what I've done to come after you? You know what it's cost me? What kind of sacrifices I had to make? I don't want to be here doing this. It's the kind of attitude I often have. That we have to people that aren't like us. What does the good shepherd do? It says he joyfully puts this sheep on his shoulders and carries it home. Has a huge party. What an incredible picture of grace. The sheep goes away, wanders by act of its own will. The shepherd gives up everything, sacrifices everything, finds it and carries it home. Is not that not our story? There's no one here that that's not your story. This is exactly what Jesus has done for me. And this is the kind of heart that he wants us to have. And it often means going to people in places you'd rather not be. People that you're not attracted to. I remember the first time No Longer Music went to Beirut, Lebanon. And uh, we were invited to be the judges of a heavy metal battle of the bands at a club called Sex God. So just a very normal weekend for me. (laughs) And um, I really don't like metal music at all. And I know some of you probably watch our video and think, Dutch metal. No, it's not. There is something between Amy Grant and metal. There is a big spectrum. I promise you, we are not metal. When you come to our show, we are not metal. This personal thing I have, I really, oh. You guys are into that metal music, no we're not. Um, anyway, this was the door that God opened for us. I don't like this music, it was hot. It took us like 24 hours to get to Beirut, Lebanon. It's the Middle East, so of course it's hot. The club lived up to its name. It was disgusting. It was hot and dirty. We get there at about 2 p.m. We don't go on until 2 a.m. We listen to band after band, and these are not just metal bands. They're bad metal bands. And so I was supposed to be judging, and I did judge, but I wrote down no scores at all. <laughs> I remember we finally get on at 2, and I'm in a bad mood. I don't want to be there. We start to perform. All these metal guys including an entire busload from the Hezbollah part of town there to support their Hezbollah metal band. If you know what that is, that makes no sense. Um, and man, we start to show who Jesus is. God's heart starts to, you start to feel God's heart. And David, my daddy, starts to preach and he says, you know, there is no hope in your music. There is no hope in your politics. There is no hope outside of these borders because so many Lebanese people feel trapped is that the only hope is in Jesus. And he starts to share the gospel. And all I can tell you is, next thing I know, I'm holding hands with all these tough dudes in this club in Sex God in Beirut, Lebanon, praying out loud to receive Jesus. And even though I had a terrible attitude, I felt like God said, thank you for being there because this is exactly where I'd be. And yet, how have we acted in the church to places like this? Thank God you'll never see me there. You know, I'll never go there. None of my friends will ever go there. And if we're really spiritual, we pray against it. God, shut that place down. You know, so often in the church, we equate making a difference to being slightly more moral than other people. You know, I go to a few less R-rated movies than other people. Look at me, take a stand. Occasionally, I share a post on Facebook. This is not making a difference. I'm telling you, if Jesus was in Beirut, he would know that club. He would know the people that go there. If he was here, if you would know the drug dealers and the prostitutes, the corrupt businessmen, the notorious people, this is who Jesus came for. This is the kind of heart that we need to have. And if we don't have it, then our attempts to reach people will be nothing but bumper stickers and cliche rants on Facebook, and we'll make no difference, I promise. People don't need to only know what we're against all the time. How about being for something? How about if the world would know us for our mercy? That we're not just standing at a distance, but we're in the mess. We're in the fray. We're making a difference. I think the world knows that we're against things. I just don't know if it knows if we're for anything. And so often we speak on issues that we haven't cried about. We pick some topic, you know, like abortion. Yes, horrible, evil. But have we cried? Do we actually do something about it? Do we put our lives on the line? Do we invest? Do we sacrifice? Do we, are we there with the women that are so confused, so deceived? Do we give of ourselves, or do we just stand back and put bumper stickers on our cars and share an article on Facebook and think, yeah, look at me, I'm making a difference. This is not who Jesus is. Yes, Jesus cares about these issues, but he wants us to get messy. He wants us to get involved. He wants our hearts to break. The problem is our hearts have grown cold. My heart has grown cold. And if you're like me, I wake up most days with just enough concern for myself and maybe the closest people around me, and that's it. It is just so human to be so selfish. It comes so easily to us. So what do we do? Well, I'll tell you, you can't try harder. This isn't an effort thing. This isn't a grit thing. Right? It's not like starting Monday, I'm going to love people better. Don't work like that if you're like me, but we can repent. We can repent. We need to repent. I need to repent. I need to say, Jesus, I am not who I'm supposed to be. I have, my heart is not broken. I do not weep. Some days I don't even care. And this does not reflect who you are. This is not who you were. Jesus, break my heart. We can repent. It's not a one-time thing. If you're like me, you're going to have to keep doing it, and you're going to have to keep doing it, and it's a dangerous prayer. I promise you, ask for a broken heart. It's a dangerous prayer, because suddenly you're not going to be so content to just do your thing, to go about your business. Suddenly it's going to disrupt things a little bit. You're not going to be so content to be ordinary. No offense. It's going to break your heart, and you're going to pour yourself out, because you are compelled like Nehemiah, it drives you to your knees in desperate prayer. And though you don't have what it takes, you cannot stay silent. You cannot stand still. And it starts by getting out of our bubbles, people. This is, I, this is from me, too. We become so conditioned in our little lanes, and we only see our friends. And our, We go to the same coffee shop and do the same little thing, and we never talk to anybody, and we never see anybody Our whole culture is so individualistic It's so conditioned to avoid human contact even though we're desperately lonely. We need to break up our routine. You need to find a way to get around some people that don't look like you, don't act like you, don't think like you. We need to get out of our ghettos, out of our bubbles and start interacting with people that need to know Jesus. And I'm telling you, when you do that, then you'll start to feel what God feels. And then you'll start to do what God wants you to do. And it's not a guilt thing. It's a love thing. You're like, Dad, I love you so much. I want to do what you want to do. I want to do what you care about. I'm no longer content to live this selfish life anymore. This is my prayer. It should be all of our prayers. And I'm telling you, God will give you a piece of his heart, and it's extraordinary when you have it. It is extraordinary. We play in prisons a lot. And uh, we were at this one prison in Poland, and uh, the chaplain that worked there was trying to give us, you know, make our expectations good. And he was saying, you know, don't expect the prisoners to care or show a lot of enthusiasm for your show. You know, they'll act very standoffish and distant. It's normal. And so we were like, whatever. So we started our show, and like 500 of these prisoners ran to the front of the stage, and they were clapping and cheering. If it wasn't for the barbed wire and the sniper rifles, it would have been like any show we perform. And um, it's, we start to show who Jesus is. And you can feel the love of God come down in that prison. And David gets off the stage, we all do, surrounded by all these tough men. And David starts to say, You know, God is a good father. So many of you, you didn't even have fathers, or if you did, they were abusive, they were alcoholics, they didn't care about you. But that is not who God is. And I'm telling you, when he was speaking these words, I have never felt God's love so powerfully. It was like a physical weight. It was hard to stand under it. We had a crew that ran our sound and lights that were not even Christians, and even they were stunned. They were like, what is happening? And David points to the biggest, toughest-looking guy and he says, you know, I think God specifically wants to tell you that he loves you and that he's your dad and he wants to know you. And this guy's holding back tears. He said, if you want to know this father that I'm talking about, raise your hand. And over 60 men raise their hand prayed out loud in front of all these other prisoners at great risk of their own safety to receive Jesus. And we found out later that a revival broke out in that prison, that, that the prisoners were leading Bible studies, leading other prisoners to the Lord. And I'm telling you, even years later, when I would tell this story, that weight would return. I'd feel the power of God's love. And this is what he wants for you and I. In fact, we couldn't even handle the weight of God's full love for the people out there. But we need to ask for a piece of it and he'll give it to you. And then no longer will it be an obligation. No longer will our attempts to reach people be cold or cliche or a method or a strategy. It'll be fueled by God's power and motivated by his love. And then we'll actually make a difference. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, I, uh, I thank you. I thank you for your mercy. God, that though I screw this up again and again, your grace is enough, Lord, and you bring me back to this place. You remind me of what matters, God. And I pray for everyone here that this would not be received as condemnation. This would not be received as judgment. This would be received as a challenge to live the life that you've called us to live, to make the difference you've called us to make. We are not meant to just accumulate things and grow old and die. That is not what it means to follow you, Jesus. And there is, there is a plan for every person here, regardless of context, gifting, age. It doesn't matter. You have a plan, a radical plan. But Jesus, let it be birthed in a deep anguish, God. Break our hearts. Lord, we don't need to have it all together. We don't need to have it perfect, Lord, but break our hearts And then send us out, Jesus, to make a difference. Amen.